Again, what a great focus to begin, asking Jesus to be our center, be our life, be our source. Uh, that's why we're here. We're going to continue in our study in uh, Romans chapter 8 today, and so uh, as we begin to turn our hearts and our attention to that, I'd like to pause for a moment and just ask the Lord's blessing on this. And you may wonder, why do we spend all this time with, with Bible study? Uh, Paul says in Thessalonians that what we have here is not the word of men, but the word of God that does its work in us who believe. Uh, we're here because we believe that God has written to us things that we need to hear from Him so that He can use it to transform our lives. So with that thought, let's quiet our hearts before Him and then we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we do come before You as a congregation, as a community of Your people uh, this morning, uh, proclaiming Your wonderful name proclaiming the powerful name of Jesus. And we're here to, at this point in our time together, to study your word together, uh, not so that we can become smarter, but that we can know you better, that we can hear from you. I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we can see new things of you, that you would open the ears of our hearts, that we could hear new things from you. We all desire and need change in some way. Some of us need change in our knowledge of who you are and your ways. Some of us need changes of attitudes and perspectives. Some of us need changes in how we actually live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And perhaps, like me, all of us need changes in all of those things all at the same time. But we believe that you are present among us, and we ask that you would bring these changes through the fellowship that we have together, through the prayers that we have offered, and now through the teaching of your word. And as we have just heard, we ask that you would indeed be the center of our lives, of our thoughts, of all that we bring to you, that you would be the center. And so we um, commit ourselves to you for the remainder of this time, uh, this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but we'll <laughs> proceed. Uh, before we go any further, I would just like to remind you, for those of you who like to do that, in your bulletins or note sheet that uh, you can follow along and take notes as you uh, would desire to do so. Uh, as I was thinking about this uh, lesson today, uh, I was thinking about choices, and you'll see why, uh, choices we have to make. And, and I have here, uh, anybody recognize what this is? <laughs> this is an incandescent light bulb. Incandescent, it was something we had many, many years ago. Uh, we use, uh, the nice thing about them is I knew how they worked. Uh, I knew what a 40-watt bulb did, a 60-watt, a 75, a 100-watt. I knew if how much light I needed, I could buy one of these and do it. And then they got smart and said, well, we need to save energy. So we got CFLs, right? They are energy-saving. Uh, part of the problem is if you turn them on today, it might turn on by next month. 
Uh, but then they developed some that were a little quicker than that. Uh, but it added some choices then to when you go to the hardware store to figure out what you want. And then they really threw me over the edge because they came out with LEDs. By the time I was figuring out the CFLs and which ones I could buy and couldn't buy, they came out with LEDs, uh, which cost you a day's wages to buy, but they said they would outlive your own lifespan so, and save lots of energy. So uh, I remember distinctly two things of going to the hardware store one time to buy light bulb. One day I had to go to buy three light bulbs for our bathroom. And uh, I said, okay, I'm gonna move into, well, at least the 20th century, and I'm gonna get LEDs. And so I wrestled and, and just couldn't figure out what I was going to do. Finally, picked out three LED light bulbs. I put them in the bathroom, turned the light switch on. I think the Phillies could have played a night game in our bathroom. <laughs> I, I just had no idea how bright these were going to be. I had to take them down, take them back, and get some new ones. But my favorite story of the hardware store is I was going, and I mean, light bulbs used to be here. Light bulbs are from here to here now. And I remember standing there, okay, I need to get this. How many lumens? How many watts? Well, this is 4 watt, which is the same as the 60 watt. I couldn't figure it out. I ended up leaving the hardware store without the light bulb. I just, it was overwhelming. I had to come back. Uh, so I finally went back. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at a similar thing, uh, only God makes our choices very simple. And we'll, we'll come back to that as we go through this. Uh, he makes our choices uh, very simple. Uh, what we've seen so far in our study in the book of Romans is that God has done for us what his perfect law could not do. By sending his own son, Jesus, he offers to us the opportunity to be released from condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to look today at Romans 8, 5 to 11, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read uh, those verses 5 to 11. I'm going to read from the New International Version, the NIV, that's the Bible that's in your pews. I will be teaching from the English Standard Version, but I think it's helpful to get different views sometimes. I'm actually going to be reading Romans 8, verses 3 to 11. We'll be studying 5 to 11, but I think it's helpful to get into the flow of Paul's thought here. So we're going to start in Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. 
a lot of back and forth here, and we're going to sort through to see what we can do to figure this out. Uh, but as I looked at this, the passage, I think, basically boils down into what I call two opposing ways to live. The title of the message was Two Exclusive Realities. We'll get to that later. But two opposing ways to live. There, Paul says um, in verse uh, 5, you can live according to the flesh or you can live according to the Spirit. So we see these two opposing ways to live. They're not complementary. They're opposing ways to live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through these verses of uh, 5 down to uh, 8, and we're going to characterize what Paul is saying here, or actually we're not even going to characterize, we're going to pull out what Paul says it means to live according to the flesh and to live according to the Spirit. So let's look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh do what? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. So one of the characteristics of living according to the flesh is a mind that is set on the flesh. Well, what does that mean? We fix our attention on what we want, what we feel, what we see, what we think. Uh, movies we watch, books we read, relationships we get into, relationships we desire to get into, what makes us feel good, entertainment, philosophies of life, habits that we may have in our life, and on and on. Our life, uh, it's interesting, the song was requesting Jesus to be our center. Those who live according to the flesh have their flesh as the center, have themselves, their own desires as the center of their life. That's what the characteristic is of our lives. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Well, that down in verse 6, uh, then he says this, for to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. To set the mind on the flesh is death. And we've talked about that. Death in its ultimate meaning is separation from God. Separation from God. It's being away from God. God created us for relationship with Him, to be in union with Him, and death is the reflection of that total separation from Him and it encompasses everything. So we are separated from Him now. We are living in spiritual death. We are seeking our own way, living our own lives. We are dead in our, our minds, in our wills, in our emotions. We have destructive emotions. We have wrong ideas. We have uh, ways of living that are not healthy, that are not the way God would have us to live. And then we are dead physically as well or at least we're not dead yet, but we will be. Our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are wearing out. And so this death that comes from living according to the flesh, having the mind set on the things of the flesh, leads to death. And then in verse 7, he goes on and he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It is hostile to God. It is hostile to God. That is, it's an enemy of God. It's opposed to who God is. And what's tricky here is we can be very religious and be hostile to God. You can come to church every Sunday and be hostile to God. You can pray to God and be hostile to God because you're coming to Him on your terms. You're defining your relationship with Him on your terms and not His. Verse 7 also says that those who have their minds set on the flesh do not submit to the law of God. It says he does not submit to the law of God, to God's law. There's a sense of choice in there um, that we do not submit. 
Further in verse 7, he says you cannot submit to God's law. So even if we wanted to, and that's what we saw in Romans 7, we can't. Paul says, I know the right thing to do, and I can't even do it. Well, what is that? That's because deep in the core of our being, we are not only sinners, but we are slaves to that sin. We cannot do the right thing. We cannot stop doing the wrong thing on our own to make ourselves right before God. We cannot. And then finally in verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we don't obey his law, we cannot obey his law, and we cannot be pleasing to him. And certainly the desire of our lives should be to be pleasing to the Lord. Well, let's do the same thing then with what does it mean to live life according to the Spirit. So let's go back to verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit do what? They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, what are those things? That's paying attention, fixing our attention on what God wants, not what we want, but what God wants, what God feels, what God sees, what God thinks. The ideas of love and truth and justice and grace, worship of God, love of neighbor, love of one another, learning to take our center off of ourselves and placing it on who God is. And then if you look in verse 6, he says, for the mind set on the spirit instead of death is what? It's life and peace. How many of us want life? You know, how many of us want to say, oh, now that is living? Well, the only way to really say, now that is living, is to do so with our mind set on the Spirit and living according to the Spirit. It's a genuine, full existence with peace, with tranquility, with freedom from inner turmoil. This word we keep hearing of shalom, this idea of peace, of living life as it was intended to live, that only comes from those who are living according to the Spirit, who have their minds set on the things of the Spirit, because the result of that is life and peace. Now, that's all Paul specifically says about these things, but if you look at, by comparison, in verse 7, he said the flesh is hostile to God. Well, what does that mean? That those who have their minds set on the things of the Spirit are friendly towards God. Instead of saying it does not submit to God's law, we find ourselves in a place that we want to submit to God's law. We want to know who God is. We want to know the right way to live, and we want to be the kind of people He wants us to be. Whereas the flesh cannot please God, Jesus Christ has set us free so that now we can please God. And we're going to look at these later in other studies. And we can please God. We can be pleasing to God. So the, the life of the flesh and the life of the Spirit are two opposing ways of living. So you may have questions at this point. Am I living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? How do I know? What if I feel like sometimes I'm doing one and sometimes I'm doing the other? Can I go back and forth? Well, verse 9, I believe, is the hinge. It is the key to understanding the difference between these two ways to live. Let's look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if what? If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
So what is the deciding factor of whether you're living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit? The deciding factor is whether the Spirit of God lives in you. It's not how you feel. It's not what you do. It's whether the Spirit of God lives within you. And look what he says. There's actually two aspects to that. In the first part of verse 9, he says, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is what is in you. Better yet, who is in you. One of the deciding or part of the deciding factor is what is inside of you. And as I said, better yet, it's who is inside of you. It's the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And then the second part of verse 9, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it's not only who is in you, it's who do you belong to. Do you belong to God? Are you His? Or do you belong to yourself? Are you living your life? Are you running your life? Are you just making the decisions for your life? Or are you submitting yourselves to who God is and what He wants? So the key here is about living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit is who is in you and who do you belong to? Because Paul says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not living according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So next, the next natural question to this would be, okay, I'd like to do that. I'd like to not live in the flesh. I don't want to live in death, hostility toward God, not submitting to God, not pleasing to God. I want to be those other things. How do I get there? And for that, I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 39. Because I believe this is such a clear description of how this happens that we can get have the Spirit of God living within us. We're going to be jumping in actually to the end of a message that the Apostle Peter was telling to the Jewish people there that was surrounding him. He had just gone through a lengthy discussion of who Jesus Christ is and who they were, and he starts, he ends his thing actually in verse 36 with this. This is his message to them. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter just told them that their lives are opposed to God. They thought they were serving God. They were very religious. And he says, in your religion, in your pursuit of God, you have crucified Jesus, the one who God himself has made Lord and Christ. And what is their answer in verse 37? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Isn't that the question that's before us, right? If, you have, if you're saying now, I, wanna, I don't want to live according to the flesh, I want to live according to the spirit, what should I do? This is the question they're asking right now. Brothers, what should we do? Peter says, They should do two things, and there will be two results of those things that they do. The first thing they should do, if you look in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, repent. The reason this word is important, for those of you who know what that word means, remember that those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The word repent means to... exercise the mind differently, to think differently, 
It reflects a change of mindset. It's that mind that is within us that needs to be changed. We need to repent. So what does repentance mean? It means that, yes, I recognize that I've been living my life for me. I want to change my mind to now live my life for God. I have been living my life for my desires and what I want and what pleases me and where I am going, and I want to change my mind to live for who God is and what He wants for my life because I want life and peace. Peter says, repent, change your mind, think differently about who you are living for, have this change of mindset. The next thing he says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get into the details of baptism here and all that entails, but whatever else it is, it is a symbol of, or a statement of giving up faith in yourself and the things of this world and choosing to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. It's a statement of saying, yes, I'm going to change my mind I'm from living for the flesh to living for God, and I'm going to publicly proclaim, I'm going to make a statement that I am, it's a changing my allegiances. I'm changing my allegiance from the things of this world to the things of God. And baptism is that statement that I am going to choose to identify myself with Jesus Christ, putting my faith in what He has done, believing that He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins. He was raised from the dead, doing for me what I could not do for myself. I am going to identify myself with Jesus Christ. And then Peter says here, there are two things that will result. He said, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. And for the purpose of our study today, he also says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you will repent and identify yourself with Jesus Christ, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, and God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will live within you. So how do you get from living according to the flesh to living according to the Spirit? You repent you identify yourself with Jesus Christ and say, I want to live for him and not for myself by faith in what he has done, his life, death, and resurrection. And God promises that when you do that, you will receive forgiveness of sins and he will give you his Holy Spirit to live in you. And in verse 39, I love this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. We are the ones who are far off. For you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So living according to the Spirit means a change of mindset. It means turning to Jesus in faith. It means receiving the Spirit of God within. Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 8, because once you do that, Paul then says there are two results of the Spirit living within you. There are two results that come from the Spirit living within you. So Romans 8, verse 10, the first result. But if Christ is in you, although body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Uh, just a little something to point out here. Uh, if you look at verse 10, it says, but if Christ is in you, that word if is a very interesting word how it's used in the Bible. And we use it sometimes in English. I, I didn't spend the time to think of a good example of that. But it really can mean since or if, as is we know is the fact, 
So what he's really saying in verse 10, since Christ is in you, right, if you have trusted Jesus, if you have repented, you have identified yourself with him, the Spirit is in you. And so he says, since the Spirit is in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit lives within you, our body is still destined to die because of our sins. This body, God does not just zap this body and say this body is going to live forever. Our body still decays. It still gets old. It still gets sick. It still gets injured. It will eventually still die. But your inner self has now been given life. Your inner self has now been given life. Deep within you where there was once sin and death, there is now life. The fountain of your life is no longer death. The fountain of your life is life. It's Jesus' life in you, brought to you by the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But in verse 11, there's even more. Then he says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. It's the same if, right, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. He says here that even though your body is going to die, what is God going to do? He's going to give life to that mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. He's going to resurrect you just like he resurrected Jesus. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. So not only does he give us life inside, he changes the trajectory of our life from death to life. He changes the ultimate outcome of our life from death to life by giving us a new body, which will someday come when Jesus comes back as we share his resurrection. Hear this. Because of what the Spirit has done in your life, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been changed in the core of your being, regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of what you think about it, regardless of how you behave or what you do, you have been changed in the core of your being. The Spirit of God dwells in you, and He has changed you from death to life. He has changed you from sin to righteousness. You are changed in the core of your being. Let's spend a little bit of time thinking this through then. Here we come. There are two exclusive realities to life. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, everyone in our community, everyone in the world is either living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. That is, they either have the Spirit of God within them or they don't. That's it. It's very simple. There's no middle ground. There are only two choices. Forget about all the choices of light bulbs that drove me crazy. There's really only two choices. You are either in the flesh, living for yourself, whether you're a religious person or a non-religious person, a moral person, an immoral person, you're living according to the flesh if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you have repented, 
If you have turned from that to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, then you have received the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit is within you. Those are the two exclusive realities. Again, regardless of how you feel about it. So, for those of you who are, would be in the camp of what we would call unbelievers, that is, those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, those of you who are uh, not ready to make that decision, this is God's invitation to you to turn from living according to the flesh for living for Him. The invitation is to believe that you're a sinner, that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin, and that He was raised from the dead to give you new life. There is nothing in your life that could keep you from God. Jesus died for your sins. He's offering to you this free gift of the forgiveness of your sins and the spirit to live within you to change you from death to life. The invitation is there. And the question is, are you willing to change your mindset? Are you willing to repent from living for yourself to living for God? But what about those of us who are believers here? When you trusted Jesus as your Savior, when Jesus rescued you, the Spirit took up residence in you. That's a fact. It's a fact. doesn't matter, as I say, whether you accept it, believe it, feel it. It's a fact. It has happened. And He promises never to leave. If you look in, in uh, verse 8, verses 9 to 11, how many references there are to the Spirit living within us. It's like Paul can't say it enough times to reinforce it. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, number one. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, number two, does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, number three, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, number four, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you, number five. How many different times can He say that if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is a not, I'm going to say it again, and I'm, you're probably going to hear me say it again before we're done. This is not a matter of how you feel about your life. This is not a matter of whether or not you did a really big sin this week. This is an actual fact. This is reality. This is your new identity. This has less to do with who you are than whose you are. This has less to do with who you are than whose you are. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are a sinner <laughs> saved by the grace of God. And we're going to look at this next week, a child of God. You belong to Jesus Christ, Paul says here in these verses. So if you live with this rewards-punishment kind of relationship with God, well, God's going to be nice to me if I do lots of good things, and there's bad things happening in my life right now, so I must have done some bad things I need to make up for because God's punishing me. Or maybe you live in guilt and shame over past sins. Maybe you're wondering if God still loves you. Better than that, maybe you're knowing that God can't possibly still love you. You've ruined your life. Life is hopeless. You are helpless. If that's where you're feeling, the reality is the Spirit of God is dwelling within you if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. On Saturday, May 19th, 2018, Meghan Markle became part of the royal family. 
For those of you who are royal lovers, I did watch a little bit of it. For those of you who are royal haters, I did not wake up at three in the morning to watch the whole thing. So I'll try to appease everybody here who has affinities to this. Meghan Markle became part of the royal family. She was given a new identity. She was an American actress. She's not even a British citizen, which is going to take years for that to accomplish. She, doesn't, she has no royal background. Of course, some, I was reading one article. Well, she's got royalties back there somewhere. She's, and she's not a commoner. You can only be a commoner if you live in England. Uh, you, you can't be a commoner if you're living in America. She became part of the royal family. Why? She was given a new identity by being joined to the prince. No matter if she feels like it, looks like it, or even acts like it, she is Her Royal Highness, Duchess of Sussex. And again, if you look through the internet, you'll find all kinds of things that, well, she shouldn't have did this, she did this to the queen, and she crossed her legs the wrong way. I mean, the royal protocol is incredible. You have to have the right slant of your legs when you sit down, and that was the Duchess slant. You can't have this slant, you have to have the Duchess slant. But all those mistakes aside, she is what? Her Royal Highness, Duchess of Sussex. And what's really fascinating is you can't call her Princess Meghan because she's not royalty, but you can call her Princess Henry of Wales, Princess Harry of Wales. Henry, or Harry, Henry was his given name. Harry is the name he uses. She is known by his name. She is a princess because of whose she is. She has a new identity, regardless of how she feels, how she acts, and whether even she blows it this week with how she curtsies, if she curtsies. That was another one. That was my favorite, right? She bowed too low to the queen. Or I, I, I didn't read all of that. You have to bow the right way to the queen. It doesn't matter. She is Her Royal Highness, Duchess of Sussex. So when, not if, you struggle with sin this week, do not think the Holy Spirit has left you. So when, not if, you struggle with sin this week, don't think the Holy Spirit has left you. He has promised never to leave. If Christ is in you, and He is, if you trusted Him as Savior, He has promised to never leave you. Now, for those of you who have been squirming in your seat for the last few weeks, thinking that I'm saying that obedience doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter how we live, and I can just do anything I want, and God will still love me, hang on. It's coming. Next week, we begin to see how Paul begins to address that. But if we don't get the order correct, if we don't realize whose we are, if we don't realize that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, and we are now identified, we are joined to the prince, we have a new identity because we have been joined to the Prince, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In the meantime, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you have moved from death to life. You are a new person with a new identity. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, I feel that words fail to even describe this reality that you have given to us 
to think that we who were your enemies, opposed to you, hostile to you, not submitting to your law, separate from you, destined to die, by the coming of the prince, by the coming of the King of kings and Lord of lords to rescue us and to save us, who died on the cross for our sins, who was raised from the dead. We have a new identity. We have been changed from death to life. We have been changed from living according to the flesh to living according to the Spirit, which has nothing to do with what we do. It has to do with who you are and what you have done. And it doesn't matter who we are, but whose we are. We belong to you because of faith in Jesus Christ. I pray if there are some of us here who do not know you, that today could be that day with that statement of faith of repenting and identifying with Jesus. And if we are your children here and struggle with these issues of reward and punishment and shame and guilt and convinced that God doesn't love us, living lives of helplessness and hopelessness, help us to realize that we have been changed at the core of our being because of the Spirit of God who dwells in us. We are now living according to the Spirit regardless of what it looks like on the outside. We are yours. We belong to you. And I pray that you would help us to live in that hope and to know what it means to do so. I pray that you would continue to guide us in our study as we dig more and more into these things in the weeks ahead, that you would give us hope, that you would help us to deal with the sin that so easily entangles us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.